0: Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm Joss. And you're listening to Breaking the Curtain, the podcast where we interview our theater idols and chat all about the history behind your favorite musicals. So sit back, relax, and, and enjoy, enjoy the, the
1: episode. episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking the Curtain with me, Chris, and me, Jocelyn. It has been a very long time since we have spoken to you guys. Hello. Hi. I hope you're doing well and having an amazing summer. When I tell you all that my jaw dropped so hard when we got the email about this interview, like it's my jaw is still in my basement. Me too. You know what? I was getting coffee, which
0: is something I do every day. Um because like I I think I've said this before, I do not know how to make a good coffee at home. So I go to Tim's and I get, you know, a dollar coffee, whatever. I sat down with my coffee, opened our emails, and there it was, an email to interview the Joe Iconis. I never texted Jocelyn so quickly in my life. I was like, did you see our email? Did you see what's in there? This is crazy. And she was like, oh, say yes, say yes, say yes. So like right away I responded. And um, here we are today with Mr. Joe Iconis joining us. On the podcast to chat all about his previous works and his upcoming new musical.
1: His newest project is called the Untitled, Unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson Mm -hmm. Musical, which is about Hunter S. Thompson, which... I'll let Joe tell you about him because he knows more about him than me. Um, But it's also a very interesting topic if you're looking to go down a Google rabbit hole. Joe was very kind to take some time out of his busy day of working on this show to chat with us. And not only is he like insanely talented
0: and an amazing storyteller, but he is the kindest, coolest person. I could have sat here all day and just like picked his brain about anything musical theater. He is so interesting and so
1: kind. And it was just wonderful. A wonderful chat. And it's so wonderful. One of my favorite parts about what we get to do with these interviews is we get to talk with people who are so passionate about what they do, who love the art form, who love the work, who love storytelling. Joe is just such a wonderful example of that. He is so passionate and knowledgeable on... All these topics. Like Chrissy said, I could have listened to him speak all day. So without any further uh, ado and rambling from us, we will skip right to the interview so you guys can hear it all from the man himself. Joey Connors, it's an honor to chat with you here today on Breaking the Curtain.
2: Thanks for having me here. I'm excited.
1: We have so much we can't wait to discuss with you. But first, we have to mention that we were both introduced to your work on Smash with the iconic Broadway Here I Come, which. (laughs) Is over 10 years old now. And that's really hard for me to believe.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I agree.
0: Yeah. I mean, we were both just discussing earlier how we wish we could go back and listen to that for the very first time. But every time you listen to it, it still does hit you with the same impact of the very first time
1: you heard it.
2: Oh, thanks.
1: I mean, since we're talking about Broadway, Here I Come Right Now, I have always wanted to ask you about your creative Mm -hmm. process behind this song. So since I have you here, do you mind sharing that with us?
2: Yeah, no, I would love to. Um, so Broadway Here I Come was a song that um, I, had, I had written pre-Smash. So, you know, in addition to writing musicals, I do uh, quite a bit of concert work under the moniker Joe Iconis and Family. And so we have a really sort of healthy, you know, concert life and perform all the time in New York City. And so Broadway Here I Come was a, a sort of standalone song that I had written um, really with the intention of it just sort of being performed at my concerts. And I wrote the first version of it in uh, 2010, in July of 2010. And at that time, it was right after this musical I had written called Blood Song of Love um, had opened and closed uh, very quickly. And I was, uh, I was really, really uh, disappointed in the 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 trajectory of that show you know it was like it was my first production in new york city, my first like sort of big production in new york city i had done a few other things before that but it kind of felt like the first like you know four or five years of my career was leading up to this one show and there was a lot of buzz around it and it felt like oh this this could really be like the thing that kind of like you know puts me on the, the level that i'd like to be at and so it it opened, and uh, I got a bad Times review, and so it just died because that's what happens to shows like the sorts of shows that I write. And so uh, I was just so depressed, and I, I I wrote the first version of Broadway Here I Come, and I sang it uh, myself at this concert at the Duplex in July uh, 2010, and it had the it was the same idea. Uh, as the current version of Broadway here I come, but it didn't have the bridge. It didn't have the do um, do 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 do. Uh, and some of the lyrics were different. It was slightly more comedic. It was really like playing up the oh, I'm like jumping off a building and heading towards the street of Broadway elements of it, you know. So it kind of felt like this darkly comic song, Um, but it like didn't quite click. And so I put it away for a couple of years. Then I was going to do a concert at the Beachman. And uh, and I kind of found the show and I needed something for my friend Krista Rodriguez to sing. And I was like, oh, maybe I should look at that Broadway Here I Come song again, because it always kind of was like in the back of my head that that song needs another pass. And so I wrote the the version that now everyone knows of it, thinking of Krista singing it. And then I, I played it for her and her interpretation of it was so different from my own take initially and she was the person who really made it feel um, like a like a I don't want to say ballad, but she really she brought out the like the all of the subtext in it. And uh, yeah. And that's like, you know, how the song kind of came to be. That's how it was born.
1: <laughs> Super cool! That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I've always wanted to know. <laughs> that's how. But of course, you've been writing long before that point. So can you share with us how you discovered your love of storytelling?
2: Yeah, for sure. I uh, So I'm from Long Island originally. Um, and where where are you both from?
0: We're both in Canada. Oh, cool.
2: I know nothing about Canada except for uh, one of my best friends who's in the show that I'm working on right now. Lorinda Lasitza is from Saskatchewan. Oh, neat. Uh, it's just from a town called Porcupine Plain. So my whole <laughs> I've, like heard these these sordid tales of Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan.
1: <laughs> I love it. You know, it. there are many towns, small towns in Canada with ridiculous names. If you like That's- Google them, you can find, I'm sure, an impressive list with like Porcupine Plains and mm-hmm. I can't I can't think of any right now. But there are a couple ones that are pretty funny.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm like very very into it. Um, but so <laughs> I I am not from Porcupine Plain, but I am from Long Island. And so, um, I came from this big Italian family. Uh, nobody was in the arts. Nobody was in entertainment. Um, my family was very sort of removed from like the arts world. However, when I was a kid, uh, the little shop of Horrors movie came out and I, I encountered the movie somehow. Uh, I saw it, even though it's like, I was like a really scared little kid. Like I didn't, I, I, you know, i I, I hated like scary movies, and, and so I don't really know how I ended up seeing that movie. But I saw that movie, and at the time, the original production of Little Shop was still playing. So I loved the movie, and then I saw a commercial for the original production, and I was like, "Oh, I, that's that movie I love. I want to, I want to see that." And so, for my sixth birthday, my dad took me to see the original production of Little Shop of Horrors, and I saw it on September 27th, 1987 and uh the 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 show closed in november of that year so it was like the last you know month uh, and change of the run and i truly fell in love with musical theater like in an instant like it was um it was just like the the best thing i had ever seen and i loved little shop but i what i really loved was like the experience of being in a theater and having Actors, you know, tell the story, and the music and the and you know the the sort of like spectacle of it, and you know it's so like I, I literally was six years old, you know, I was six years old and six years and five days old, and um and I th- that show just like shaped my sensibility in such a hilarious way. Like when I think about it, you know, because Little Shop played the Orpheum Theater, which is this like like ultimate off Broadway theater. Um, in the East Village. And it's like, it's just the grittiness of it is so, you know, it's just what it is. It's like it can't help but be a gritty experience. Um, so it was like that plus puppets, plus like, you know, 60s rock music, plus like a very heightened, heightened genre <laughs> world, but people being really like honest within that world. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the end of the show in the original production, there were vines. That came down on the audience, like at the very end of "Don't Feed the Plants," which it was like it was the most like unexpected thing because you're in this like tiny little theater. It was like you'd never expect that like they had rigged up like vines to like fall <laughs> at the end of the show, and they did. And I always think that like the vines falling down at the end of Little Shop like zapped the love of musical theater into me. Like, it was
1: <laughs> I love that. Some like that.
2: supernatural thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: Perfect. So one of the shows that you are most known for is, of course, Be More Chill, which has one of the biggest fan bases out there when it comes to new musical theater. Yeah. We talk a lot about the power of social media and fan base when we're talking about shows making their journey. What was it like to receive such an overwhelming response to your work?
2: Oh, it was amazing. It was the best thing ever. I mean, I, because I have come to the world of musical theater, you know, through a real love of the art form and a real awareness of the history of the art form. I always imagined that my kind of path would be one where I would, you know, write this like off the beaten path sort of show and it would go to like a fancy nonprofit off Broadway theater. And then it would get a really great review. And then based on that review, it would go to Broadway and like, cause that's like how things work, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like most shows that are the sorts of shows that I write um, which are like you know little kind of strange shows that are usually not based on like big intellectual property that usually don't have stars in them. Um, that's how they get to Broadway, and then Broadway is how they get to the larger public you know consciousness. Uh, and so that kept not happening for me with all these shows that I was writing, and then it it did you know it it didn't happen with Be More Chill when the show premiered. At Two River in Jersey in 2015. And so the fact that I was able to like, you know, make my Broadway debut with this musical that like didn't do any of the things that a musical like this is supposed to do in order to get to Broadway, um, is something that like I still can't believe and that like gives me hope, which is so weird because it's like my own show. But it's, you know, exclusively because of social media and exclusively. Because of fans, because of actual human beings who responded to this thing in the most organic, genuine way. There was no entity behind it. There was no corporation behind it pushing it. People just liked it. And and you know, we've this show has gotten like really far just because mm. people liked it. And I'm 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 just grateful every day and so, you know, so proud of that.
1: Mm -hmm. Speaking of things to be proud of, you released an album last year titled Album, which is a three and a half hour album that features some brilliant songs performed by many industry favorites. Mm -hmm. With the vinyl coming out, what are some of your favorite memories of putting this together?
2: You know, it was it was an album that was put together completely during the pandemic. And during that time, you know, everyone was kind of doing these things that were like in their bedrooms, you know, and in their houses and like in their parents' house. Like, I feel like everyone was like, how do we like make things in, you know, in the place where we're living? And I, I enjoyed a lot of those things, but I knew for myself, I didn't, I had no interest in doing that. And I was like, how do I make something that I would have made in um, normal times? And so that was kind of like the, that was the, the sort of impetus behind you know, how we did it. And, and I always wanted to do a, a large scale album of my standalone songs. I, you know, wanted to do it for years and years and years, and there just was never like time. And so the thing that the pandemic provided me was the time and space to like, focus on this. And, um, yeah. And so just the, like coming together of it was, it was such a mammoth undertaking and, you know, it cost such a huge amount of money However, I, I feel like no one else could have done it for as little money as myself and my crew did it for. You know, it was like there was a huge amount of money and it was like as scrappy as something like this could possibly be. <laughs> there was no extra anything. Um, and so and so, you know, because of that, when we finally got in the studio and finally started recording, it felt like so earned. And it felt, mm-hmm. you know, we, we all had to work really, really hard to get to that place. And there were so many setbacks and so many disappointments. And then the recording, you know, we recorded like for most of the songs, the band first. And we did like a week of recording band. And it was really intense uh, because, you know, studio time costs money. And so it was like, we have to record, you know, three and a half hours of music in a very specific amount of time. And so I, you know, scheduled it within an inch of its life. And so the band sessions were great, but really like they were scary because it was like, if we don't get what we need in this allotted amount of time, there's not money to like do it again. And so Mm -hmm. it just felt it was highly pressurized, but it was good. But the singer sessions, you know, I just had scheduled like over the course of a week and a half all of these singers coming in one at a time in like half hour or hour chunks. And because we recorded it in, um, like winter, winter 2021, 20, I guess we recorded it. Um, it, it was uh, for a lot of us, the first time we had seen each other since the pandemic started, you know, it was like things were it was like right when vaccines were just starting and like and, you know, half of the people were vaccinated and half weren't because like it was just like that first wave of like people just hadn't gotten them yet. Yeah. And so it was so like it was so wild to be doing this and like recording this stuff and seeing my like best friends in the whole world for the first time in almost a year. And so it was just really emotional. It was crazy. It was like it, it was like a movie. You know, it was one of those things where like, if it was in a movie, I wouldn't believe it but it was real life. And so like my friends were coming in and like hysterically crying because we were excited to see each other and then like recording these songs, you know, and I'd like to think that I'd like to think that that sort of like genuine, uh, you know, that genuine feeling and joy is is on the album. And I like that we have it as a as a strange snapshot of a very particular time in our lives. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it's so rare that you get to hear these backstories about an album I mean you go into it you listen to it you feel that energy but to hear it from you is it's wonderful Mm -hmm. it's crazy
2: yeah and you know like um uh like when like Lin-Manuel when he came in Mm -hmm. to do his track he was in the middle of editing Tick Tick Boom and so he in the studio that day it was like me and Ian Keggy who's the producer um and Jen Tepper and um and he like showed us the Sunday sequence from tick, tick, boom, like on his iPhone. It was so, it was just the, <laughs> like, this is That's very strange. Amazing. It was so <laughs> weird. Like it was just, yeah, it was, all of it was very, very, very surreal. You know, my friend, one of my best friends, Badia Farah, who's on the album, she sings this song starting to forget, which is a song that I wrote about losing my, my grandpa, like years ago. Like I wrote it in college and Badia had recently lost her, uh, her dad, um, who was like the the greatest guy. And so she, you know, she sang this song and it was the first time I was seeing her since she lost her dad. And then my, um, I have two aunts, Ro and Sherry, who have been like very wonderful to me my whole life. And they came to like visit the studio that day and they've known Badia for 20 years. And so Badia is like singing this song and hysterically crying and my aunts are crying and everyone's like hugging. It was just the whole thing was really, un- it was unreal. It was unreal. Aww. I could talk about it for days. <laughs>
1: No, that sounds truly incredible. And the album is wonderful. It's on Spotify for everyone listening. You can go listen to it there and you can Um, order it on vinyl.
2: Oh, my gosh, please order it on vinyl. I'm I'm desperately trying to like have more uh, physical media. And it's 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 helpful when people like buy the stuff, because then I could say I can say it to like the record companies and the producers like, look, there's a demand for it. Instead of it just being me like, I really think people would love audio cassettes. When <laughs> they're, I
0: they're, will definitely you know? go order that on vinyl because I am a vinyl collector and I would love that in my collection. Oh, sweet. Yeah,
2: know, it's yeah. a good looking set too. It's like, yeah. it's really heavy. The art is great. It's nice.
0: Mm,
1: love that. All right. So you heard it here. Go and order the vinyl. We will include the link to that when we post the episode. You'll find it in the episode description where you can find that info. So we are here today to talk about your newest project, which is the untitled, unauthorized Hunter S. Thompson musical, which premieres at La Jolla Playhouse on August 29th. So what can you tell us about this exciting new musical?
2: I can tell you that it is a musical unlike any other. And it is a um, a really wild uh, look at this man, Hunter S. Thompson, who some people know who he is very well, and some people have no idea who the hell he is. And uh, for those who don't, he was a a a writer, a journalist, a sort of counterculture hero in the 1960s and 1970s, uh, who invented this style of journalism called gonzo journalism, which is this idea of putting yourself in the middle of uh the of a narrative of reporting news in a totally subjective way and at the time it was something that felt really tied to like liberal thinkers it felt really tied to people who were kind of anti-establishment and and championing, champion, championing um, you know, uh, people sort of living on the fringes and outcasts and misfits. And it's, you know, so crazy because now we associate like, you know, a subjective view of news with something very different. And it's very Trumpian. And it's like that, you know, it's like a totally different thing. But at the time it was not that. And um, yeah, it's this kind of like freewheeling uh journey through this guy's life and it's as much as it's about him it's also about what was going on in America in the 60s and 70s and how that relates to today and uh at its heart it's really kind of a celebration of people who feel like they don't quite fit in anywhere who are mm-hmm. for a tribe like looking for a place to mm-hmm. uh to fit in and i've been working on it for so many years and um and i'm so excited that it's premiering and it's like you know, it's it, it's hard because in some ways it is kind of like a bio musical, but I, I, I can say, you know, I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but I think it's definitely different from any other bio musical that has ever bio musical before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. That's amazing. We are fans of the bio musical, especially when people find different ways to bring that to life. So what are some of the challenges when it comes to writing a musical based on someone's life as opposed to something that's fictional?
2: Oh my gosh! I mean, there's been so many challenges. This is my first time ever doing this, and I'm um. I think I'm a new life goal is to never do it again because <laughs> like it's, it's. I mean, in in our case, so the show, the, the show is unauthorized, obviously, as that is in the title. Um, and so that is both really freeing because we're not dealing with someone who's like, oh, you can't say that I did this, but also it's a little bit like scary because you're just sort of like. I hope that, you know, he would have liked this, um, but it's, you know, it, trying to adapt someone's life and someone who had a had great effect on society, it is really hard to honor the authenticity of someone's life experience. And by that, I mean, you know, our lives like don't fit into the structure of a musical. Like we, uh, things are very rarely all good or all bad. People are very rarely all good or all bad. And I find most bio musicals or, or bio films, whatever, they all have a very similar structure where it's like the person starts from nothing. They have a great idea. They become famous for that great idea. They get corrupted. They usually do something bad, which is like kind of swept under the rug. And then they're forgiven they have like a come to Jesus moment. And then at the end of the thing, everyone is celebrating them at some sort of event. That's like every bio anything ever. It's so true. Like, (laughs) And I just, I didn't want to do that. First of all, that felt really not like in the spirit of Hunter S. Thompson. And also his life was so insane that it's like, it just doesn't fit that. And so Mm -hmm. force it into that, it would be like such a, it would be a, a, a terrible lie, right? And so I've been trying to, Let this thing be what it wants to be and really honor the fact that this guy was a really complex human being who did a lot of good things and did a lot of bad things. And it's like I trying to make the show, let the audience know that the show itself is aware of that without ever apologizing Mm -hmm. for the rough things that this guy did. Just know that, like, we're looking at this man with a critical eye while also being like he also did some good stuff that 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 Mm -hmm. had an effect on the world. Um, so just sort of wrangling all of that is really hard. And, you know, I have like I have a soft spot in my heart for an antihero, you know, and like most of the most of the people who most of the leads in my shows are certainly people who are like not the normal like leads in a musical in a variety of ways. Hunter is really specific in that he is like push. He's like it's like I feel like it's like a challenge for the audience to really like love him. You know, it's like he's very charismatic and he does. A lot of great things, and he does a lot of bad things, and I want the audience to be like, "Oh, I'm feeling kind of bad about myself for really liking this guy," you know, which is like a scary thing. And I'm, I'm hoping that audiences will go on the journey with us, uh, but you know, maybe they'll just be like, "Ugh, we hate this character," you know. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm really, I'm out of my head about it all, but I know that, like, <laughs> I think the songs are good. You know, I think it's entertaining at the very least. Tunes, kind of- <laughs> it's entertaining. There's puppets. There's very exciting states. okay. Yeah. Yeah. The puppets are like out of control. Not. I love that. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm very interested. I'm interested. I'm yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of Hunter S. Thompson. So I'm going to- I right. did some Googling before. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'll fill you in. After <laughs> yeah.
2: Google. I've heard of this Google. Excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <A> great resource.
1: <laughs>
0: no, Absolutely.
1: No. <laughs> Anything specific about Hunter S. Thompson that appealed to you? Like, what was kind of the moment where you went, I want to tell this guy's story?
2: Yeah, you know, it's I, I had been sort of aware of him. Um, a lot of he's like one of those people who like uh, people who love him are like obsessed with him and they've read everything about him. I was never that right. I was never like full blown obsessed with Hunter S. Thompson. I was aware of him in high school. I was basically aware of him because the his most famous book is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And they made a movie of that with Johnny Depp. Um, it was a Terry Gilliam movie, and so it came out when I was in high school, and uh, I was a big movie fan, so I was like, oh, I want to see this Terry Gilliam movie, and and uh, it was fair and lovely, and that kind of introduced me to the world of Hunter S. Thompson more than anything else, and so I always was kind of interested in him, and then when he, he died in 2005, when he died, uh, there was all of these stories from people who had, uh, you know, dealt with him, people who knew him, and it was really... People sharing their firsthand accounts of being around him that made me be like, oh, I always kind of thought of that man as the sort of like, you know, kind of cartoony counterculture, like ultimate, like '60s, like mm-hmm. you know, hopped up on drugs, sort of burnout mm-hmm. um But it's like he he really was like a very passionate writer, and then also he was just insane. And like people were telling these stories that was like, what? Like he would go into meetings. You know, he would go into meetings like fully um, in like a you know like an old lady costume, like meetings at like Rolling Stone, and like he'd be dressed as an old lady, and he would um, have a a, a a a suitcase full of grapefruits, and he would open the suitcase and just throw the grapefruits around the room, and then they would try to chase him out, and he would have like a firecracker, and he would just throw firecrackers into the audience, <laughs> into the office, and so it was like, and they're just pepping all of these stories that was like, well, this can't, this this man doesn't sound real. And so I got really fascinated by who he was. And then the more I got into him uh, and the more I started watching him on interviews, you know, he, um, he, he was like such an extraordinary drug user. Um, he just consumed the, the most unthinkable amount of drugs for years and years and years. And so at a certain point, his, uh, his like demeanor and speech really became like it was just like its own language, you know? And so he had this kind of like mumbly, sort of rapid fire um, speech thing where he would he would sort of sound like, oh, like, that's what his voice sounded like. Right. And so I would watch him on these interviews and just think, you know, it would it would be such an awful idea to try to turn this man's story into a musical, because in addition to his, you know, really strange up and down life, just he as a person had such a strange way of speaking, had such a strange way of um, expressing himself that I think it would really be at odds with the musical theater form. And so it's such a bad idea that I feel like I have to write a Hunter S. Thompson music. <laughs> you know, it really was that moment of like, this is an awful idea and no one else should ever write this and it should be me.
0: I cannot believe That's I've, I've never of like, heard of him before. Like this is right in my vein of, cur- yeah. of like things i'm into and interested no in? I, wow. I get
2: it i get it but yeah 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 you know but the hope is that the show will you know turn people on to him but also and i and i think i i think this is true i think it's a show that really works if you know him very well and i think that it's a show that probably works the, a, a touch better if you don't know him at all mm-hmm. you know going into this thinking like of course everyone knows Andres thompson is like it it's really sort of like You know, in some ways, he could be any person, and it's just this, like this, Mm. this, this writer's experience through 1960s and 70s Mm. America. You know, yeah. I'm
0: gonna gonna fall down a rabbit hole later. uh, Watch everything. (laughs) It's very
2: entertaining. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. With the show set to open in late August, what stage are you currently at in the creative process?
2: We are. So we just finished our second week of rehearsal, and so we have a. Few more weeks of rehearsal, and then um we go into tech. We go into tech in like almost two and a half weeks, I think. And so we're like we're halfway through staging the show. So we're I mean, I guess a little more than halfway through, because we're just at the end of the first act. Um and so we did a workshop of the show last summer here in La Jolla, and that was the thing that kind of like kicked us off to do this summer in a full production. And so we have like a really great framework for what we're doing and it's kind of allowed us to do some really detailed work. Um, the show is really, really dense. You know, it's a show that like, I wrote it, I wrote it without thinking about how will this ever be staged? Like it was written to just kind of zip all over the place and, you know, locations and characters and, and, you know, and, and time periods change in like the blink of an eye. And so it's just like everyone is on stage the whole time. It's a 10 person cast and it is just such a heavy lift for everyone, you know, that um, it's it feels like if we hadn't done the workshop last summer, there just would have been no way that we'd be as far as we are now, which is really cool. Um, And so I'm still in the process of like rewriting a bunch of stuff. You know, I'm I'm a writer who cannot help but wrap the material around the human beings who are performing it. And so, you know, this this cast is so extraordinary. And so many of the people in the show are people who I've worked with for years and years and years and years and have such a great foundation with. And so I just love them. It's like my you know, they're my favorite actors in the whole world. And so all I ever want to do is is, you know, make the material as great as it can be so they can do their thing. And so there's not a moment that goes by in rehearsal where I'm not inspired endlessly by like the people who are rehearsing. And it just makes me want to write, you know, new stuff, better stuff, more stuff. Um, so, yeah. So after, after I finish with you, with you both, though, um, uh, I have to write a song for the end of Act One. And there's a song that's sort of been in this place for a long time. And, and it's not working out for a few different reasons, some of which have to do with artistic reasons, and, and some of which are like totally separate reasons. And so I'm feeling like a huge amount of pressure to write a great song, and I really need Mm. to like write it to have it done for tomorrow. And so that's that's the thing that's like currently on my mind. And so hopefully Mm. I'll write something that's great, and and we can listen back on this one day and be like, oh, that's when you wrote that song, (laughs) literally right after.
1: How cool was that? Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it'll be brilliant. Sounds
2: terrible. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's when you wrote that really sucky song.
0: (laughs) i doubt that will be the case (laughs) never never
1: (laughs) so the last question we have for you today is what do you hope audience members take away from seeing this show
2: what do i hope audience members take away from seeing the show you know i'm so i'm always i'm always so bad at answering that question because i really am like of the belief that I think I know what the show is about and I think I know what what I'm trying to say but how I think how an audience member takes in a piece of theater or any art is really personal. You know, mm-hmm. and so I would never want to be so presumptuous as to be like the show is about this and that's what you will think the show's about. And it's like one of the reasons that I love I love fan culture so much. I love, you know, fan fiction and I love fan art because it's so inspiring to me that so many different people have different interpretations of the characters and the stories and the world. And it's like, yeah, I don't think this character is, you know, is, you know, secretly a werewolf, but someone else does. And else <laughs> right. Does, and it's all true. And it's all, you know. Um, so, but having said that, I do think that the show really, really, really pushes this idea that, um, that people, who feel different people who feel othered, people who feel like misfits or outcasts, uh, have a place. And, um, and, and even if the powers that be are trying to make you feel small or invisible or evil or whatever, uh, you don't have to. And, uh, and there are others out there like you. And so, Um, I do, I do hope that people feel that because that's, that's certainly what we're, what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. And I do hope that people, that people read some Hunter S Thompson and make up their own minds about whether they think he was a genius or whether they think he was an idiot or, you know, or anything in between. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and also, I love how I said I'm bad at answering this question, and now I'm proceeding to give 10 answers to this question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're very good at this question. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, but I, you know, I, I also am so thrilled by the idea of people seeing this, this musical, which is a musical where the songs were written for it. And it's a musical that for as crazy as it is and, you know, and edgy as it is in some ways. It's really like classic musical theater writing. Mm. You know, it's like, this is not one of those, like it's a musical for people who hate musicals. Mm. You know, I, this, this, is a, this is a musical and there's show tunes in it. And I, I love the idea of people seeing this kind of show and seeing a cast of like gorgeous, exquisite actors who look like actual human beings, who look like, um, who look like people who walk this earth who it's an ensemble that is diverse, not just in ways that feel um, performatively woke, but in ways that feel genuine and honest, and um, like a true representation of, of of human beings who inhabit this planet, um, and and who are all kind of off the beaten path, and um, and are so preposterously talented, and so I do want people to take it in and you know, and it's, it's, I've been really lucky in every show I've ever done, which also every show I've ever done is essentially about people who feel like they don't fit in, trying to fit in, you know, or or feeling like they belong somewhere. Um, But I've, you know, every cast of every show I've ever done has, has been, you know, and I'm really proud of that. I've never had someone who looks like a musical theater robot in one of my shows. I've never had, you know, one of those casts where it's like, oh, they look like, you know, a gap ad or something
0: yes I look like models no, exactly. um
2: it's like i've exclusively gotten to work with people and and all of them are, are gorgeous and sexy and all that but it's like they yeah. look like people you know
0: mm-hmm. yes um,
2: and this show is is no no different and so i'm i'm really ha- I'm, I'm really hoping that people will take that in and be like whoa mm-hmm. this you know musicals can can uh can be all sorts of different things and can be populated by all sorts of different people
0: mm-hmm amazing. You have my soul so excited. Yeah, that right is a
1: great like, answer. Vibing. <laughs> I'm good. Good.
0: I always yeah. just feel like, you know, it's like I feel like
2: I'm supposed to be like, I hope people feel like they, that they can dream. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. I hear people answer that question on on interviews and I'm like, oh, that's such a good answer. That's like a good little like sound bite, but I'm bad. I'm bad sound bites. I think that's what it is. It's too, you know, I ramble.
1: <laughs> Us too. It's okay. <laughs> Us too. Yeah, you are
0: in I feel very safe. Very good company. <laughs> thank you so so very much for joining us today it has been i mean just an honor to have you with us we've
1: like we said we grew up listening
0: to you and yeah i'm very Uh, excited for your
1: new. some of us dyed their hair blue because of you i don't know who that is (laughs)
0: that
2: makes me so happy
1: oh
0: great well i'm excited to hear your new song as well we'll let you go uh, so you can go write a hit yes sending all the good vibes your way but i mean please
2: do i need it i'm, I'm being i'm being uncharacteristically <laughs> uncharacteristically chill about the whole thing but we're gonna we're gonna say yeah. well,
1: we'll send you good writing vibes and uh we can't wait to hear what everybody has to say once the show opens on the 29th yeah, yeah me too
2: me too come see <laughs> it visit That's california it. why don't you
1: right yeah. i mean twist my arm <laughs> twist my arm california oh it's okay. I'll go look at the Air Canada website later.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll,
0: we'll dream about it. And dreaming
1: is dreaming great.
0: So.
2: Dreaming is yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> <see> dreams, kids.
0: <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. And have a great day.
2: You too. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you. Bye.